Negative, Major Tom. Negative. It is imperative that you remain in the capsule. It, oh boy, there you go. To be fair, we we, we, we normally just kind of like naturally go into it and, that, and that's that, but now we're just sitting here with our uh, our minds a little blank. Welcome to the Sad Voice yeah. Book Club. Uh, my name's Dusty. <laughs> and I'm Daniel. And uh, we were too poor to come up with an intro this week. So, uh, Leviathan Wakes Part 2. <laughs> yep, Leviathan Wakes Part 2. So, I don't know, how, how are you feeling about the book so far? This is... One of the best books I've read in the last ten years. Wow! Which I realize high, high praise. Yeah, I mean, if you if you if you go off of you know some of the things I said in the very first episode of the podcast about how I haven't really read much since like 2017, that may not sound like a lot of praise, but like I don't know. I haven't. I, well, I've listened to a lot of audiobooks, but I've also read a handful of books in in ten years, and this is one of the better ones. Oh my god, I love this book. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very good book. I've I've liked it so far. Um, I I may not be at that quite the level that you're at, but uh, you know I've I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I think I think the the world building is you know like I said the other day it's it's very good, very interesting, and to me I think that's that's where the book is shining, and the, I guess the plot is pretty is really good too. But those those elements are. That's kind of like how I said the first time around. This, those two things are shining, um, and I'm, I'm starting to to uh, warm up to the characters a bit too, uh, particularly Holden and his crew. Yeah, uh, I, I said this to you uh, off camera earlier, uh, but I feel like it it it, it uh, demands repeating. I feel like in this section we covered, which was approximately the next 100 pages, uh, mm-hmm. we didn't get. A lot of plot progression, but we got a lot of character progression. Yeah, that is that is definitely the case. I mean, there's some big plot moments that we'll we'll hop into here here in just a bit, but I think this is this is mostly like um, if the first hundred pages, because we that was roughly what we read the first time around, it was almost like a hook, and this is kind of like the okay, you're settling in for the ride, and you're like they they gave you like the the overarching. Uh, what each character is about during that first hundred pages, but this is like you're saying they spend a lot of time developing them here. Yeah, I feel like in terms of like major plot points, there isn't too much to say outside of the Doniger. Mm-hmm. Um, because like Miller's story, it's 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 a lot of like more of the same, which I'm totally okay with because he's got that really fun like kind of almost noir thing going on. With the Julie yeah. Mao investigation and the uh, the threat of war with Mars going on in the belt and the 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 tumultuous uh, unease that has been caused in the belt because of that, so that's that's mm-hmm. all still kind of there and that's all still building and building and building and I feel like we've kind of like I feel like we've hit the the start of the bubble burst for that tension by the time we mm-hmm. finished the section we were on. Uh, so I feel like once again we're at a point to where 
we have stopped on the cusp of the next major thing in the book. So that's yeah, fun. Yeah, I, it is. It, 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 I like I like how we've broken it out so far. Yeah, yeah. This this is such a fun book, and I I feel like I'd like to think that um, Frank and Abraham or Corey or however you want to refer to them uh, had a lot of fun writing this book because there is so much in here where I'm just reading it and I just kind of stop and I look at it and I'm like, man, that was a really fun sentence or like a really fun paragraph where I just read it and I have to go back and read it again. And I'm like, man, that was just cool. Uh, there was one that stood out to me. Uh, it was, I think a Miller, a Miller one. Yeah, it was, it was when, um, I think it was in the last Miller chapter that we read mm-hmm. uh, when he lets his alarm go off for 10 minutes straight before uh, getting up and getting ready for the day. And he's just kind of like mulling it like the, the, the situation over in his head and just thinking, Oh, well, everybody thinks that I'm a deadbeat uh, piece of shit cop that, that sucks now. And I guess this is just me living up to that, that, uh, that uh, reputation. And then there's, there's the passage where he turns off his alarm. Uh, let me, let me actually, My book was behind me on the on the bed, not on my desk, so I had to really lean for it. Uh, sure. Let me find the actual passage so I can read it, because I'm not going to do it justice by paraphrasing. Uh, da, 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 there's da. An, there's another one while you're looking for it that really really shone to me. It was um uh okay yeah. Two hours later, Miller finished the last of the paperwork and sent Dowd off to the cells. Three and a half hours later, the first of his docking requests came in. Five hours later, the government of Ceres collapsed. I thought that was, I was like, man, bars, bars. That was, that was, that was a really nice little paragraph. Yeah, that's, that's another really good one. I think another really good one is the one uh, talking about how Shed died and how sudden it Mm -hmm. was. And it just, it just feels so kind of matter of fact and it kind of like a, and then this happened and it's something that's supposed to be really big. And it's told in such a, such a matter of fact, almost emotionless kind of way, and it's it's it's, it's crazy. It's how that how it how it does how it it almost makes it hit harder. It's, I have a, an equivalent, and this is a spoiler for something else that I I'm kind of questioning whether or not I should even mention. Granted, this spoiler is like almost ten years old now, and it's an Attack on Titan. I mean, I'm never going to watch that show, so feel free to make your analogy. But be forewarned if you are a Attack on Titan curious person. Yeah, so this is this would be a spoiler for, like... I, I, I didn't watch the show. I, I, I read it, so I don't know where it would be in the show. My guess would be, like, season three, maybe? Maybe season two? I, I don't know. I didn't I didn't watch the show. But it's it's still somewhat early on, and it's, it's when... it's it, Okay, I'll say this. For anybody that might be curious but also don't want to be spoiled to something that's almost a decade old at this point it's when you learn the identity of the colossus titan and the uh the armored titan i think that's what they're it's been a long time i think that's what they were called uh that's 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 what i'm talking about uh five four three two one spoilers um so when you learn that Bertold and reiner are the colossus titan and the uh the armored titan it's uh, there's like stuff going on in the scene 
and people are having their conversation and some big thing just happened and in one of the panels in the background of the panel you see the two of them talking to Aaron and there's just a little speech bubble and Bert, uh, 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 Reiner is just like Aaron, Berthold and I are the Armored Titan and the, and the Colossus Titan and it's just, like I said, it's in the background of a panel and I just, I, I stared at it for like a good two or three minutes and I'm like, what? that what? So like Shed's death yeah. kind of reminds me of something like that, to where it just it's just kind of done in such a way that you're just like, wait, what, wait, what, what? And you just have to look at it a couple of times, and you're like, is that really what's going on right now? Yeah, I definitely had to uh, flip, not uh, flip back, but like go back and and reread that again because it just it was just so very much very suddenly done and without a lot of ceremony. But I think there is a certain. Um, craft to that you know the way that 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 he he wrote that or they i guess wrote that um that it's 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 the sort of um the reality of uh the 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 thin membrane between life and death when it comes to things like that it's like one second he was there and then he was not and you know mechanically you know it's just even though there's there's great significance to uh, a person and a, a, about about that event, you know, I guess when when you're looking at sort of the uh, cosmic scale as you you often do in in things like sci sci-fi, um, it, it is just like another thing that's happening, you know. Yeah, I I, I do I, I don't want to come across as saying that. I was complaining about how that was written. It's com completely the opposite. I think it is just such a, it's, it's a very surgical way of doing it. And I feel like, like, I think I said this a minute ago, it adds impact at the same time because of mm -hmm. how emotionless it comes across. It, it's almost just kind of like a, an extra hit on top of the fact that you're seeing a character who you've gotten to know at this point die suddenly. And it's like, Oh shit. Okay. But uh, to yeah. round it back around, I have the quote here ready. Um, if you want some reference here, it's on page 184. Okay. Uh, this is Miller. It says, uh, he reached over and turned off the alarm. Just before it cut off, he heard a voice in it, soft but insistent, a woman's voice. He didn't know what she'd been saying, but since she was just in his head, she'd get another chance later. Yeah, that was really good, too. Yeah, that's just that's a really cool passage because it, it it's just... It's a nice kind of look into into Miller's psyche without going into Miller's psyche. It's just one of those nice subtle. It's it's a it's a book equivalent of Show Don't Tell. Yeah, and it, it, like I think you had a very apt comparison with that sort of like it, that likening it to like noir film, or I guess the the literary equivalent of the the hard boiled detective fiction, the kind of Raymond Chandler esque style of writing kind of thing that going on there yeah and it's like we're supposed to uh we're following miller he's a very likable character and i love how you have this kind of up until the last couple of chapters of his that we've read he kind of has this this kind of gravitas around him to where you know that he's good at his job you know that he cares about his job but like i looking back in hindsight there are little hints here and there about how his mm -hmm. reputation actually is in Star Helix. But then when mm -hmm. you really get it with um after Havelock leaves uh with the transfer not not with the transfer, it's um he calls him and says, Hey, uh 
there's a good chance you could be killed at any point in time just for being an Earther. You need to leave now. So Havelock mm-hmm. just gets out, and he's he's partnered up with some woman named Mus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we learn that uh, he is not what he's he's not hot shit anymore. He is he's the person that when someone is being punished, they're partnered up with him. When there's a case that nobody wants, he's the one that gets it. And he is having that realization when Mus says it to him as well. So, I, like I said, I feel like there were some nice little snippets before that that kind of was painting that picture if you really were trying to look for it. But if you were just kind of along for the ride, it was just, you know, maybe a little bit of a surprise. Uh, and that was... It was interesting because I feel like with standard noir, you do have that hard-boiled, down-on-his-luck detective that's really, really competent and really good at his job, but maybe he has his vices that is stopping him from reaching his full potential. But this one case comes around, and that's what kind of gets him back in his swing of things, and he becomes a better detective than he's ever been. Or he just fails spectacularly, and it's a tragedy as well. Uh, But I I feel like this does kind of have some, some roots in classic noir, and it feels like it's almost kind of shutting down some cliches at the same time because while Miller is a competent detective and he does care at least about Julie Mao to the point to where uh, I do believe what he says when he's talking to, was it Anderson Dawes? Is that his name? The the OPA, uh, the OPA guy? guy? Is, yeah. it, is it Anderson Dawes? Yeah, well, yeah, I think so. Okay, I couldn't remember. His last name was Dawes. I because there's like for the the uh, the other OPA guy, it's is his name Fred Anderson. It's Fred Johnson. We, Fred Johnson, that's right. I okay, I was just. But he was the butcher of Anderson Station. That's that's what it was. Yeah, that's why I was kind of confused. I was like, did I am I remembering right? His name was Anderson Dawes because Anderson Anderson Station. Like I don't know if it was just one of those things. Because I know in 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 books you tend to not want to name people the same thing, like. In our real world, how many, how many Daniels are there? How many Michaels are there? How many Jerry's are there? You know all of this stuff. Like I went to school with someone whose name was also Dustin, and we were in the same grade. Like it's it's you know we have we have we have common and similar names. But if you're writing fiction, while it might make sense that there are two characters with the same name that are living in close proximity to each other because that's just how naming conventions go it doesn't read well when you have that because if you have two marks in your story then it's going to get confusing so i yeah i i guess the point is i'm wondering if anderson dawes if his name being anderson has any relevance to anderson station maybe this is me just trying to find a thread where there isn't one but Normally, when there's someone sharing a name with something, it is intentional in novels, like I said, because if you just have people having the same names, it gets confusing. I think I think there's something, you know, that that's not necessarily a bad um, supposition. I, I think I think that's something that, I don't know, maybe we can watch as the, the novel goes along and see if that ever comes back around, because you do have also the uh, the... Both of those characters, Anderson Dawes and, and, and Fred Johnson, the butcher of Anderson Station, they're both related to the OPA. So, I don't know, maybe there's some sort of connection there that's that's going to become more apparent. Uh, one other last thing before you move on here. I, another, that what You were talking about how, you know, in retrospect, some of the things that, that Miller does, 
you you start you you realize for kind of look you're looking at Miller for who he actually is. Um, when we when he was going to Julie Mao's apartment, and we, we, we he was like hacking into her computer and all that stuff. Remember how he was like he goes into her fridge and like grabs a beer. Yeah. You know, I I thought that was just like um. That struck me as being weird at the time, but I figured that this was it was just the author's like I, I don't know, are they trying to make him seem kinda of weird and quirky or something? I, I I don't know, maybe something like that. But in and when it when it comes into the reality of like, oh, this guy's just an alcoholic. <laughs> that that's that's it's like, okay. That 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 puts that in a whole new kind of relief there, you know? Yeah. But what what do you think? Uh, to to I guess I I kind of lost the point I was trying to make when we went on the tangent about Andersons. Uh, so I can't remember where I was going with that. So I'll have to either come back to it or just drop it. Uh, what do you think about Anderson Dawes as of right now? Uh, I don't know. Generally pro Anderson Dawes. He seems like a sensible guy doing trying to do right by you know the 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 belter people um i don't know maybe maybe a little bit shady they might be trying to like this might be one of those things where you're like not sure what kind of what's hit what his character is and he's kind of like goes he seems vaguely good but there's like a little bit because there's something a little bit i don't want to say off about him necessarily but he's just there's something about him that's a little bit um i don't know there's and, something and under the surface a, that you yeah, feel like hasn't come up yet, but is going to be something that might influence your opinion on him, possibly in the negative. Yeah, I think that that's a fair way to put it. I mean, he's, but that's kind of his thing. He's kind of having to operate in this sort of like shadow space of being like a, I don't want to say shadow government, but like, like a separate, like he, he represents a group of people that, uh, that are, you know they're not by their very nature they have their their work is somewhat clandestine so would you say obviously he oh, go ahead would you say that the opa are kind of performing a soft coup right now um so i guess on, to on the give station. context to give context to that um as the as the things are kind of unfolding and as as we see stuff play out in the um in the holden story we, we we see that the Earth um, government is basically pulling out of its backing on the on the Sarah station. So I that was something I didn't actually I wasn't actually aware of at the time. I mean I knew that um, uh, it's that their company was a uh, was an Earth concern, but I I wasn't aware that I guess that meant that they were following Earth rules. I figured that it was just like a pretty much a pure sort of like company town where basically company rules only company rules apply um but i guess that wasn't the case but anyway so as as the things are happening in the uh in the holden storyline we see that the the government of the of saris as i mentioned before has basically fallen apart and then now that there's a um a provisional government has taken over uh control of the station and that there there seem to be in talks with the opa um now, as far as to whether I think the OPA uh, necessarily organized this, I, I'm inclined to say no. I'm inclined because I think, um, 
when we we hear from another OPA figure, the he he seems to be pretty adamant about like trying to avoid conflict. And I think the OPA taking power on um, the station would only be more um, more fuel for the conflict. But on the other hand, they're kind of in in between a rock and a hard place, uh, where whereas they can't really. They can't really just leave the power vacuum, you know. So I think they're they're just kind of taking advantage of the situation, um, and they they realize it's an opportunity for them to to gain sort of influence. And like like they say um, in the book, there's like thousands and thousands of uh, craft coming in and out of Sarah Station every day. So there's probably like a lot of money involved there and there's a lot of people that are sympathetic to the belter cause so i i just think it's sort of like a, a natural thing that they're like okay well if earth's pulling out then yeah we're gonna go ahead and and uh try to use this for what what it's worth yeah which i, I maybe i should clarify what i meant by soft coup because you know we had the the bit uh i think it was at the end of the miller chapter from where we left off in the first part covering this where he said oh the OPA isn't trying to take over the criminal organization they're trying to take over the police organization uh that that I guess that's kind of what I mean with the with the soft coup comment to where mm-hmm. they're not trying to necessarily take complete and total control over the station as a whole and be the governing main governing force of it more so they're trying to do you think they're trying to at least take a somewhat substantial substantial control over some of the more not political but more on the ground aspects of the station to have control over it in that regard so that they have more power over i guess the people in a more localized fashion and not in a political fashion and not control like rule reigning over them with an iron fist but more so because I, 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 I do think at least the, the OPA, the way that Dawes sees it, uh, sees themselves as kind of the, the Robin Hood and his Merry Men kind of group to where they're there looking out for the Belters and they're just trying to make sure that everybody lives fairly and adequate. Well, maybe not, maybe more than adequately, like, you know, everybody is happy, healthy and living their best life. And they don't think that rules under earth or martian laws help them achieve that so they have that kind of not necessarily anarchistic output but more i don't want to say revolutionary either because i don't think dawes wants war i think it's it's been made pretty clear that dawes and johnson as well i i would i would think that those two are part of the same opa faction Mm -hmm. where they don't they don't want war they want peace but freedom well, yeah, they they definitely represent a certain um, self-determinative uh, view about uh, for the Belters, and it's kind of like like we were saying in the the first episode. You know, we can see that the Belt is you know things are not really going so good for the Belters under the uh, under the rule of like Mars and Earth. You know, they're not really. I mean, some people are living pretty well, but like for the vast majority of people, they are not really um, doing much more than just kind of scraping by, you know. Yeah. And you, you can kind of see that in like the 
the when they give descriptions of the station like the kind of the kind of crimes that they have uh, you know that they've talked about they're they're all crimes that are very uh, that are indicative of just of like an economic desperation you know that's sort of like well you, you know it's just there's just like a lot of there's just it's just not a good situation for the builders and I think what the OPA is is trying to do is one there I think part of the reason they Dawes um, we, we one of the one of the times we see Dawes he's one he's at first trying to influence um, uh, influence Miller to stop looking into the Julie Mao case um, because you know he's he doesn't really give too much of a reason at first but he does seem he does seem to be like wanting to work with Miller so he's like you know he's trying to offer him a deal he's like okay well if you if you stop looking into the Julie Mao case I'll, I'll I can give you some information that helps you solve uh, the case of the missing uh, riot gear and you know that's that kind of stuff like he's he's trying to do like a like a quid pro quo thing and the second time we see him after Miller uh so Miller kind of like is kind of seems like he's going along with it and they kind of part on good terms and then immediately Miller goes behind the back of both Dawes and uh, his superior um Shahid or Shadid her name's Shadid I think um, uh, I, I think and, you're. I, I'm not perfect on how to pronounce it. And then she, um, you know, and, and he goes. To, he tries to contact um, Julie's family directly uh, via some sort of like uh, communication network. And uh, what we see the the next day is that um, his wor- his boss intercepted the communication. Which is kind of interesting that they they did that. It's, it it does kind of show, kind of one one thing I've I've kind of thought about as we've read a lot of this this book uh, to this point is that the security forces and the the governor maybe not necessarily the governor directly although likely the, but the the government of the the um, of the station is all is pretty I guess I would say sort of totalitarian. They're they're like they're very, um, they're monitoring people's communications, and and trying to make sure you know, you know it 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 doesn't seem like there's any kind of there there's any there's not a lot of civil rights on the station for example, and so so they they intercept his communication before it even goes out and they they prevent him from uh, contacting um, Julie's parents, and anyway that that's when when she brings him in to talk about it. Dawes is also there, and they're kind of giving him a little bit of a good cop, bad cop, uh, if you'll pardon the pun, kind of routine. Yeah, and something I found interesting about that bit is through body language and kind of how the uh, how the conversation goes. It seems like Dawes has some sort of superior over, superiority over um, uh, Shadid. Mm-hmm which I, I found interesting. It just kind of shows that uh, whether or not this OPA takeover of Star Helix or at least the uh, policing body of the station is new or not, their their hooks are in deep enough to where it's, it's already kind of a done deal. The OPA is at least, at least is in the hierarchy is above even Star Helix right now. 
Yeah, I think that makes sense because you know if you think about it, the OPA is a is a body that represents like numerous stations and like all they they're on a lot of different stations. They're they're on different. They're probably also on the outposts on different like moons and planets. Whereas this this is just a local security force, you know, so that when it comes to if we're if we're just looking this at this as like um like just based on who is more powerful than the other and you know we're making determinations just based on that i think it's it's pretty clear at least to me that the opa has a lot more muscle behind them and therefore you know even though their intentions intentions and here to this point seem to be uh benign or positive like that they are kind of they are i think there is a certain sort of like we're kind of putting our foot down here and we we want you to stop looking into the case because we they and this is something that he says after after miller kind of has like a little back and forth uh with his boss and you know it's it's kind of kind of gets a little heated but you know dawes is like okay look i think there's we're, we're kind of going off on the wrong foot here like we just we need you to stop looking into this case because it would be more damaging to the I was gonna say geopolitical, but we're not geo. We're like in a galaxy. It's it, it, it would be better for the the uh, the political situation between um, the belt and Mars if we're able to just handle this. Is is basically his his assertion? Yeah, which I think I don't necessarily disagree with his point. Like I I because his reasoning is that since Miller works for the star helix which is essentially run by earth that anything he discovers anything that he makes official is going to go through the channels back to earth and could cause the current mars and belt crisis to spiral out of control even further which granted i feel like that ends up becoming Irrelevant once Earth backs out of the when the United Nations back out of uh, Sarah Station and just kind of say, "Well, you're on your own, guys." Uh, so, because when 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 he gets pulled back into her office and Dawes is there again at the end of the chapter when he gets fired, uh, Dawes is there and he does not look fun. Like he he he's he is visibly distressed, and Miller makes an, a mental note that. I think I think Miller makes a mental note that this was the worst outcome that uh this was the worst possible outcome that uh Dawes saw because this was the whole thing was basically being contingent on Earth staying neutral because that was their only way of being able to actually try and do some sort of possibly peaceful containment of the situation because if earth picks a side then that just complicates everything Mm -hmm. which i don't know if this is necessarily earth taking a side like maybe this is something that was a pro mars move maybe but maybe this was also just a look we are not gonna take a side here we are gonna go so far as to just completely remove ourselves from the situation entirely congratulations you're all on your own we're just gonna stand here in the corner, plug our ears, and scream la 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 over and over. So you guys have fun doing what you're doing, like that. It, it could be that, or it could be them taking a Mars side. I feel like we might get a little more later on as to what that was specifically. But all the same, Belt's in a bad place, I think, right now. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I can understand from the Earth perspective wanting to get it out of this conflict because I think, and this is something we can touch on later uh, when we get back to the um, to the other storyline, uh, but they, they explain very clearly how this could very easily spiral out into like a... Um, Almost like almost potentially species annihilating um, can battle, and that that would be you know I I can I can understand from that perspective Earth just being like, okay look, you know just doing doing some like a just raw self interest determinated you know thinking here and just saying look there's a there this is not this is not looking good if if these if it comes to war between these two um groups and they get desperate enough they really could do some major damage and if we we get involved in that we could also kind of get caught up in the in the backlash um so it may just be better for us and just just to and maybe even the potential survival of humanity to just take a step back and just and just try to stay out of it as much as we can. Yeah, Johnson you know? does um, reference the famous Einstein quote that if you've ever played a Call of Duty game, you've probably seen. Uh, I'm gonna only if be, you're bad at the game. Only if you're bad at the game. Yes, uh, I'm probably gonna be paraphrasing this. Uh, it's it's something like I don't know what weapons World War Three will be fought with, but World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones. Uh. Something like that. I don't know if it was sticking. So I think it was with rocks. But some. But but the, that's the point. That's the, the, the whole point. Still is. stands. Yeah. So the, uh, yeah. Johnson makes a makes a reference to to that quote uh, when when Holden and the crew make it to Tycho Station later on. But um, one thing, uh, well, I think he he all, it was kind of a double entendre because he means literally like, yes, yeah. they are rocks, but they're but they're. They're weaponizing. They're talking about potentially weaponizing asteroid strikes. Yeah, that, that's what. So that's what I'm saying. Like that has the potential to wipe out the species. So that's probably a good reason why Earth is just like, you know what? We need to get out of this conflict as as you know because there's just there's just too much at stake. Yeah, that's a terrifying thought. That because yeah, he says that they can essentially strap rockets onto asteroids and send them to the surface of Mars. And he says that they could turn the surface of Mars into essentially a magma crater, which is just an insane thing to think about. And it's like, yeah, that's a very, uh, it feels like a very apocalyptic endgame kind of thing. Uh, a real world equivalent would be having a fuck it, we're just going to nuke our enemy kind of mentality, because, you know, mm -hmm. if you do something like that. Like that's that's the that's breaking the seal. If 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 the OPA and the Belters just went scorched Mars with asteroids, then the Martians would definitely respond by nuking everything on the belt. And yeah, while Earth may technically be left standing, which granted is the largest uh, population hub of humanity still, it might potentially devastate the entire system ecosystem if that if that makes sense the entire ecosystem of the solar system because yeah, it's going to do that it would also crash the economy you know yeah and you even have because uh, there's the outer planets too you have the outer four planets and we haven't really seen much in the way of how their economy and their culture is compared to the belt and the inner planets 
But we do mm-hmm. know that they are a thing. They are a faction that still exists out there. There's people out in Neptune. There's people out in Saturn. Uh, maybe not. Maybe not on like Saturn or Jupiter, because like you know Jupiter's a gas giant. But even still, you have the uh, the the rings of uh, the rings of Saturn, or where they get the ice, uh, the ice for the icebergs for the the hauling crews. You have Io, Europa, uh, Callisto, uh, all those moons. Uh, I'm gonna look at here. Uh, Titan is one of them, I think. Yeah, so you have like all those moons that, at the very least, are inhabitable to a point to where they can be used in a economic standpoint but something i've noticed uh if you open up your little handy dandy map it -hmm. makes it a point to point out titania on uranus which makes me feel like even all the way out in uranus there's still some form of civilization so Mm -hmm. if you have a situation where even if the earth survives but mars and the belt are just decimated by this war I feel like all those outer planets are going to be suffering from it long term as well because how do you continue to provide and establish contact with people so far out when the space in between is possibly going to be at at worst an irradiated no fly zone and at best a wasteland. Yeah, and and that's the thing too, you know, you how how do those places they get resupplied, you know, because that you'd have they'd have to be coming all those supplies would have to be coming from earth at that point and uh there's there probably would need to be like way stations and that's one of the things that's so important about the asteroid belt there is like it it works as like a good like hub for commerce and shipping and all of that and so if that's all gone because of the war those places don't get resupplied or if they do it takes a lot lot longer and they're they're in a world of hurt you know they may they they may not be able to be resupplied and they may just uh die a terrible lingering death freezing yeah. in the deep void of space yeah the belt isn't necessarily a geographic halfway point but it's almost like a metaphorical halfway point between the inner and outer planets mm-hmm. i mean it, it is a physical barrier that separates the first four and the back four planets yeah definitely but uh, one last thing I want to point out with uh, with Dawes before moving on completely, and this is completely irrelevant to the book, but I learned, because my, my brother watched the show, and he loved the show. He hasn't read the books, but I, I'm telling him, I'm like, dude, you need to read the books. They're great. Uh, he told me that, uh, and I looked and I confirmed this myself, uh, Dawes is played by Jared Harris in the show. Oh. That's pretty cool. Jared Harris is a great actor. Yeah, I, I I love seeing him in things. He's he I feel like he's one of those like super underrated actors that is way better than what he's given credit for. Though I haven't seen Chernobyl yet, and I've heard I've one I've heard it's fantastic, and I've been wanting to watch it since it came out. I just I just haven't. And two, I've heard he's amazing in it, and I'm like, well, yeah, he's amazing in everything. So I would expect that already. Shout out to my boy Lane Price, the best character in Mad Men. Yeah, he was he was great in that show. He was, uh, that was probably when he first came to my attention as an actor. But um, you know, the, he he would be he. That's really good casting. I think he really does fit the role of of um, of Dawes. You know, he because he he can do that sort of like warm, convivial, like gentle positiveness. But there's like something a little bit under the surface that's a little bit 
a little bit seamy. There's something a little bit strange there that you're like, I don't know that how if I want to poke this, you know? Yeah, which um, to give you another kind of comparison of his uh, of his filmography uh, that uh, could go toward that statement you made is he plays uh, Moriarty in Sherlock Holmes Game of Shadows, the uh, the second Robert Downey Jr. one. Mm-hmm. And he's a great Moriarty, by the way. I was I, I only saw that movie once in theaters, way way back when it uh, when it first came out. But um, I loved him as Moriarty. I was like, man, he he just perfectly hits that menacing, conniving, and super clever, albeit not necessarily the most physically imposing kind of villain, which I think is important mm-hmm. for what Moriarty is. Uh, which is why I, I very, very much prefer the Jared Harris Moriarty to the, uh, I don't know the actor's name, but the guy that played him in the, the BBC show, the, the Benedict Cumberbatch Moriarty, which no shade against him. He did a phenomenal job. The Moriarty in that show is really good too. And that actor did a fantastic job with it. But I feel like Jared Harris kind of conveyed that, that cunning, conniving and super imposing, even if not physically imposing part of the role that I think was missing in the show, which is more to do with the writing and not the acting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We should think about doing a, doing a Sherlock Holmes book in the future. I've never read one actually, and but I I, I oh, love yeah. the idea of the character, so I, yeah. I I that'd be fun. It'd be a nice probably one off. Yeah. Well, I think some are longer than others. There's a lot of like short stories, but I think there are some like novels. Like I think Hound of the Baskervilles, for example, is like a full length novel. Yeah, I we'd have to definitely look into it, but that that could be a fun little maybe one or two off kind of thing yeah i imagine it's like take probably just a couple of of uh go through a couple of uh intervals to read it but yeah that's the that's the I, beauty and, of this is that we we have endless possibilities for things that we can cover books that we can read and it's it really is just nowhere to go but up definitely um yeah, there's there's some there's some other things that I might maybe some other, later we could we could talk about because I'm kind of getting some ideas together for um, what I you know what what to read next time around. Um, but I guess to get back to uh, to get back to what we're reading this time around here, Leviathan Wakes. Um, there there's not I think there's not too much else um, in terms of Miller. I think we we got Miller pretty and his his plotline pretty covered uh, like 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 you said at the top here not too much happened to him except kind of getting fired <laughs> that's basically the main thing that happened to him but um you know that that we we did learn a lot about him i i really just just the last thought here i really really enjoyed like you mentioned before that this sort of like i thought it was a very good depiction of like someone whose life is just kind of crashing down around him and he's just having this big realization about himself you know yeah and he's like oh crap i'm not i'm not the i'm not the superstar detective that i i i once was and thought i was i'm i'm the guy who's a joke you know and i think that's they did a really really good job uh depicting that yeah which one thing i i think we should definitely touch on before moving on to holden is the interaction he had with is it Hassini? Is that the name of the bartender? What, uh, what's uh, called the blue that frog? That sounds right. I, I think, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Forgive me if I'm remembering his name wrong. Um, 
when when he's suddenly realizing that he's there and just wasted out of his mind and Hasini's just like, Hey man, it's me. Let's get you home, man. And he asks about Julie and Miller's like, How do you know about her? And he's just like, You've been talking about her all night, man. You is some girl you fall for? And Miller makes the kind of realization, the revelation inside of himself that he says, yeah, I do love her, which I don't think it's supposed to be taken as a I'm in love with her, like I want to be with her kind of way. I, 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 I personally took it as he's in love with the idea of Julie in the way that he has built her up in his mind, but not in a not in a relationship, you know, get married kind of way, but more in a in a bonding kind of way, like a almost a spiritual or a like metaphysical kind of love to where it's not about he sees her and she's like, Oh, what a hot bot. I want to have sex with her kind of way, but just almost like a kindred spirit. Like I feel like she represents, or at least the way that he built her up in his mind, because I feel like the way he, he has kind of created her and the way that he talks to her in, in, in that, uh, almost inner monologue kind of way is not necessarily who she is. It's who she is as he understands her. And I feel like that person that he has built up in his mind is someone that's supposed to represent not just some person he's looking for, but in terms of like Julie Mao herself, but a person he's looking for in himself. Well, I think it's the sense of, it's like this paternalistic Although I don't necessarily mean that in a fully negative way, but it, he does have like a paternalistic view of of Julie, you know, like he, he he's like he he sees himself kind of as like in the way that he he is choosing to carry out the case. Um, he he believes that he's kind of like protecting her in a way, like he's trying to find her and figure out what the situation is, but he doesn't really. He also doesn't want to, like, hand her back over to her parents either, you know? Yeah, I don't think he entirely knows what he would want to do if he did find her. I think he's just kind of has the sense of, of I have to protect you, I have to make sure that you're okay, but I don't think he knows what he wants to do if he actually achieves that goal. Yeah, I think that's very apt. All he knows is that he's not going to ship her back to her parents because... He ain't no kidnapper. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's that's kind of that's kind of his his thing right there. He's 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 not really, and that's kind of that's kind of maybe also somewhat indicative of how he might have lost his edge because he doesn't really know what he's doing at this point. You know. Yeah. So la- last last thing about Miller. Now that he's been fired from Star Helix. He is no longer bound to a formerly Earth-controlled body. So, now what do you think? Do you think this is a, a means for him to possibly leave the station and continue his own personal investigation into her? Because he still has the, I I need to look and see... Because the last thing he was really doing was trying to f- essentially find the um, the uh, uh, the Rocinante. He, he's trying to find it at this point. After after mm-hmm. Dawes told him that Holden and the crew made it off of the Donager, uh, mm-hmm. he's trying to find where they went and where they ended up. And he man, he's getting so close. 
he is he's really narrowing it down really well that I think that he might actually be able to find it. And I, I one thing I love about that is it does not feel like a kind of ass pull kind of way to where he's just like, I need to find Holden and the crew. Oh, there they are. I guess I'll just go do that. It The way that he's been trying to narrow it down actually makes sense to me to the point to where this feels like a natural like detective work to figure out like there, there's logic behind what he's doing and it, it it makes sense to me so take that for what it will but it feels like he's actually doing the work required to actually throw something at the wall and have a chance of something sticking yeah i, I think that's fair i think this this uh book i think owing in part to that sort of hard-boiled detective roots that it, it does kind of they do show that sort of like uh like i guess not correct necessarily but like the sort like it shows the work it shows them, the them actually doing yeah the, the process doing the work to like resolve this um as to what's next i think this could be a good opportunity for him to for the stories to intersect because if he's fired uh from his job he has no necess- he he's not necessarily bound to stay on the station he can leave now so you know the stories can intersect he can go look for julie he can you know he can go look for the um for the crew of the of the night and i guess now the rociante you know the the he's i think this is a good way um i guess from like a plot mechanic standpoint to to now free free him up to uh join the other story or join it at some point you know yeah so i I think that works as a a nice little segue to get over to holden and the gang who when we left were when we left were they at the donager or were they on their way to the donager i think they were they had just talked to johnson um Mm -hmm. and that's where we left them off and then the next thing is what you were saying that i think the literal next sentence we see is uh the donager was ugly yeah like he they're 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 not very and to be fair they the way they describe it is is not um yeah literally first sentence of chapter 11 the donager was ugly (laughs) yeah a skyscraper on its side Mm -hmm. which i guess it kind of makes sense because um, they they mention and they mention this too. They say that um, you know there's in space there's not as much like. Well, the the reason things are all curved on Earth is for you know aerodynamic purposes. Yeah, come um, through the atmosphere. In space, you don't really have that. I mean, I'm I'm there is there, I'm sure there are I know there's like clouds and stuff like of like radiation and of gases but i don't it's know i'm sure so yeah yeah i i just don't think that it's it's nearly as big an, a concern these kind of very like harsh and like austere and kind of ugly looking uh structures in this case it's it rep their their uh capital ship is it, it's it's also very ugly and austere and i think that is also kind of um indicative of at least the way that they have portrayed the the Martian Republic uh, to this point is that it's it's kind of um, mi- militaristic, kind of just very um, 
very hard-edged, you know. Yeah, they do make the comment about how the edges are sharper on the ship compared to the Canterbury, and how everything is just polished to a sheen. Oh, that that is true. Yeah, it's it's there's like a lot of. Um, it's not just uh, it's not just in the the architecture. It's just the way things are. Is there's you could there's a lot of like um, like it just it's just this idea of like this very hard edged culture, and you, you you can see it in there the way that they communicate uh, with the with the the crew of the night at this point. So so they land on the. Um, on the the Doniger, and there, you know, there's a little bit of a back and forth, but it is it's pretty clear that they are being arrested in all but name, you know, like the like uh, it's not really like they are being um, rescued per se. It, it it very much feels like they are being detained, uh, like their 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 worst fears may become coming to pass. Uh, yeah, but I we don't necessarily get to that point because they're 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 putting their 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 room, which is ostensibly a a very well pampered holding cell for all intents and purposes. But Holden has his I don't want to call it an interrogation, but I think that was what it was supposed to be. It never really got to that point with Lieutenant Kelly, mm-hmm. who I think is a great character, by the way. I really liked Kelly. I, I thought I thought Kelly was interesting. Yeah, which, man, you gotta love some of the creative things that authors can come up with with a futuristic sci-fi setting. That focus lozenge is one of the weirdest things I've ever read for future tech, and it's it's also really cool at the same time. You suck on a lozenge, a lozenge. And your eyes dilate, and you're now hyper focused, and it's like, yeah, lie to me, see what happens. Yeah, it's it's Adderall in a, in a chewable form. Yeah, but I I got a really strong idea of what kind of person Kelly was just from that interview, even though we didn't get the full thing, because yeah, he's very much a a Martian Marine. He's very very strict to that to that code of life it seems like but he also doesn't seem like the kind of person that can't see the forest for the trees like he 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 knows what things are really like he's not kind of stuck in that jarhead mentality you know yeah i i think he's he's definitely they they do kind of i think they do try to delineate him as as having like um like a certain He's the, he he may be in the military, but he he has like a very. Um, I think he's he's he might have had other training like outside of the military because I think he has a more, uh, well-rounded view of the world, you know. And I think he's he's not necessarily. I don't know. He's he's kind of caught in between like his his desire to like figure out like the truth. And like try to feeling out like are these guys like, is this like an OPA operation from his perspective? You know he's he's trying to see if that's because that's one thing he, he I noticed he asked them a lot is like trying to suss out any kind of like OPA sympathies um, on the part of of the of uh, of Holden and his crew. 
Yeah, and there is that bit with, uh, what was her name? Was it Yao? Yeah, yeah, that was Yao. Yeah, and she's she's like, hey, uh, those six ships that are that are following you, uh, you might want to tell them to back off because we're gonna shoot them in an hour. Yeah, that and that that was that was interesting too. Is like this very um, and that that's kind of like where where you're like you're saying there. There's a very um, harsh kind of like the the culture is like okay we're we're getting ready to we're just getting ready to to destroy them we don't really even know where they're at even within an hour they're not going to necessarily be like close enough to to board but it's like this they're they're like preemptively in a very um more aggressive posture it actually but in this case um while while i would probably regard that as a negative in most cases uh, they actually turn out to be right here, um, at least to some extent, because those those uh, six uh, those six craft uh, they start to attack the Donager, and uh, surprise have a uh, an astonishing amount of success. Um, I didn't how how big did those six craft did you imagine them to be? I did not imagine them to be very big at all. In fact, I imagined them to be quite small relative to the Donager. Yeah, my guess would have been like maybe a dozen people, maybe twenty at most, crewing a ship size, like a sh- that kind of size. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. But um, not only do they attack the Donager and they they are able to do significant damage to it using their weaponry, um, including I think it's it's not made entirely clear, but I think the 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 shell I guess it was fired from some kind of railgun. Uh, that 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 killed shed actually did come from a uh, one of the six craft and uh again this is this is very similar to what we saw in the uh julie mao uh prologue i guess they are they play very cagey with descriptions of their the the craft and uh as we see later when they as they begin to board the ship they don't really do a lot of describing of the borders yeah it's very just like oh they're wearing these enviro suits and they're they have these weapons and ooh, they mean business and this is this could end up being like a totally um just crackpot you know nothing theory that's just totally wrong but there is a part of me that believes that they these are not like they are not human really and yeah here here's here's where i come in with that it's like do you remember back in the julie mount chapter like that weird fleshy mass that covered the uh the rate the 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 engine yeah theoretically you know maybe there's some sort of like weird bio weapon um that that is that's what it is and that it did that to them but i i we we don't ever hear them talk at any point also um, including in this the the Julie Mao section, and I'm I don't know that's just kind of what I'm I don't know maybe maybe I'm totally wrong maybe I'm totally off the mark here but part of me is wondering if this is just like they they've just kind of this was just um, both Mars and Earth kind of getting caught in this I don't know they 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 might this might just be some some sort of um, extra galactic entity 
anyway, I think it's too too soon necessarily to call to to call it one way or the other. But I, I do think it's interesting that they never. It's either really bad writing um, to to not describe them in any way or to give such minimal description, or it's really good writing and we will it'll make it'll set us up for a big impact later. Yeah, I will say um, initially with the whole Canterbury and Scopuli situation, I was of the opinion of this very much could be Mars doing some sort of sleeper hit kind of thing where they have some sort of plausible deniability, but Mm -hmm. they are trying to make a move on the belt. I I wasn't convinced, but I thought that was definitely a possibility. Uh, I also thought it could have been some third party that's trying to stir some shit up and, and really flare the fires of war now i'm of the opinion that it's absolutely that it was not a belter crew it it wasn't necessarily the opa as we understand it through the means of dawes and johnson and i don't think it was mars either i think it's a third party that intentionally used a mars battery so that they could have that seed be sowed and now they also are once that once they've turned the belters against mars through the scopuli and the canterbury we now have them taking out the Doniger, which now has Mars have a reason for more than just defensive hostility against the belt. Now we're looking at complete and total open warfare. Yeah, I think I think that's possible that it's some sort of like either a different group or like some sort of like OPA kind of like maximalist um, accelerationist kind of group. Uh, that are just that are trying to spark the conflict. That they they did kind of frame Mars, in an, as like a, like like create the to a certain extent the Scopuli was some sort of like false flag kind of thing to kind of like you're saying to inflame tensions. Um, that I think that's probably more likely than it being extraterrestrial. But it's just the that that uh, that weird flesh covering the engine with the like the head of the the captain still being alive and attached to it that's just really stuck in my mind a lot so that's why i'm like i'm not i think you're what you're saying is more likely but i'm i'm just not fully like willing to go there yet like i'm I'm still entertaining other possibilities but i do think that's probably the most likely uh uh reality here well, I don't think our ideas have to be mutually exclusive. Like, I, I'm saying I think it's a third party that's that's sowing some seeds of distress and doubt on both sides. And it's still possible that it could be extraterrestrial. You know, and there there's, there's one complicating factor here that I can kind of think of. Um, that's kind of an interesting thought is like, so, but how, how did uh, Julie's parents, how did they know uh, what was going to happen then? Because, or or is that just a coincidence? I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think it is either. But I think that's that's like it's just like so. How do they how do they tie into what's going on? I I, I think in the in that place or in that way, there's st- still a lot more uh, questions than answers. But um, anyway, so so the uh, so the attack you know is going on, and they're they're. Shed's head is blown off by a by a, this railgun shell charge bullet. I don't know, and it it it, it pierces and it pierces their um their containment cell. 
But in that moment, they they start to uh, depressurize as the atmosphere starts to get sucked out of the uh, out of the cell and in, in into space. So so they're able to uh, they're able to quick quickly cobble together like a a thing to to seal it like a temporary like seal using like a binder and a plastic tray or something. Yeah, and uh, that that's when we kind of get. Um, that's kind of how their their story kind of escalates because at that point um, they're like, oh shoot, are we dead? Are you know is there going to be is there any way we could get out? And uh, at that point the the Mar the Mars uh, Marines they they arrive at the door and they they get them out and um, that this is the part where we find out that not only is are these ships did they do that uh, they boarded uh, the Donager. And not only did they board, they're they're winning, pretty pretty handily. Like they're they're just tearing through, uh, the Mar the Mars defenders. So yeah, they were essentially rescued from their room by the one and only Lieutenant Kelly and his Marine band. But yeah, so they're they're trying to his plan is they they need to get off the Donager because he understands that the ship's lost. So that they have a. Uh, a ship in the hold that they can use to escape and get out soon enough and quickly enough to where they should be able to evade any of the six ships pursuing. And yeah, it costs literally all of the Marines lives, but they make it to the ship called the, uh, the Tachi and get out. And then the Donager blows up. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, that was pretty, um, it was a pretty, pretty kind of fun sequence. They're, you know, getting through the corridors and they're in a shootout with the, with the, um, the borders. Uh, there's some kind of interesting moments in there, but Holden, um, he's, he kind of has like these sort of derealization moments where he's like, I guess the, the, uh, the extremity of his experience has kind of, is overwhelming to him at this point. And he's like, not, um, I don't know. He's like he's like everything just feels so distant, so far away. He's like a disassociation. He, he feels like he's dissociating. That's probably the best way to put it. Um, so that so he's he's kind of going through a lot of it. I think it's just sort of a, a sense of exhaustion. And as he's as he's uh, leaving, you know, that when when the combat uh, kicks off, he's he kind of snaps into it a little bit more. But I think he's pretty. He, we we kind of see his character kind of get worn down, and so they they get to the they fight they get to the ship you know it's 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 the classic trope you know they they keep going they get into one situation and one one uh, of the marines like they, they they either stay behind to uh, cover the exit or they're um, or they or they just die you know classic classic trope so and they get on board the ship and. Uh, Lieutenant Kelly actually boards with them for a little bit and he but he's he's been wounded and he's he's kind of upset about that. <laughs> they they try offer to help him and he just kind of brushes them off as opposed um, to him being excited about being wounded. He really ought to be. He's he honestly he should be he should be ecstatic that he's alive. And uh, hell yeah, I've is, been wounded critically in my chest. We are. Well, here's the thing. I and this is this is where I I kind of differ in my interpretation of the events than um than the characters. 
the characters kind of feel bad for the Marines and they feel bad for Kelly. And they're like, wow, they sacrificed their lives to save us. But I don't really think that's what happened. I think that they were they were assigned a mission, the the Marines, and they were trying to extract them as a, as a uh, intelligence asset to be debriefed somewhere else. I don't think that they were like trying to save them, just to save them. I th- I think that they were they were trying to hold on to them, and and try to t- they were going they weren't going to just let them go like like the way that they and ultimately after Kelly dies and they're flying off they're like uh. So what do we do? I guess we're just going to fly around now. And then and then they come up with the idea to meet up with the OPA. But I don't think that that was even close to being on the table had the Marines, had even just Lieutenant Kelly lived. So yeah. that's that's a little bit of me like, okay, guys, I, don't, I think you're, you're kind of missing the point here. Like they weren't saving, they weren't, they didn't sacrifice their lives for you. They sacrificed their lives for the, the, the your value to Mars, if that yeah. makes sense. And they said that because uh, Kelly ends up dying because when they hit the the twelve G speed that Alex thrusts them out of when they escape the Donager, his broken ribs puncture his organs and he dies that way. And I think it's really funny. They're all saying, "Well, he he clearly knew what was going to happen when he told me to do this, so he knew that he was going to die doing this. He died saving us, essentially." And my thought process was. Did he really, though? Like, do you really think that he was just like, all right, kid, punch it. I'm going to die doing this, but you know what? Semper Fi, motherfuckers. Like, I, I don't I don't think that was what was going through his head. I think I think what he was saying was, get us out of here quickly. And I think he yeah. had every intention of, of surviving the escape and having to deal with getting patched up later. But Alex put put his foot down a little too hard and killed him for it, <laughs> which I think is just really funny. I, that was that was kind of amusing when you put it that way. It's just it's uh, it's in in a kind of like black humor kind of yeah. way. But yeah, I, I agree. I don't really agree with um, with Holden and the the characters and their weird over gratitude towards their captors. But I guess that's neither here nor there because they are their captors are dead because as they're flying off. Um, Eventually, uh, and this is something that they kind of touch on a little bit. Uh, the there's there's like some sort of technology, unlike uh, the the in the, the command center and in some di- different sectors that 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 absolutely cannot uh, fall into enemy hands. And um, so to that end, they're like, okay, if the enemy breaches beyond a certain point, um, the other other parts of the ship they have switches in them. That they can flip and uh, just self-destruct, and so that's what happens. So the the Donager blows up, and uh, as far as we know, takes all of the boarders and other and and their their craft out with them. So at this point, they they seem to be home free. Um, Alex, in a very slick move, disables the transpo- the tracking transponder as they're leaving. Um, that was a cool moment. Yeah, and then so so they're they're. They're free. The Mars can't find them. Nobody can find them unless they, you know, unless they they have to make they have to make that call. And so they're kind of confused. They're like, uh, okay, so so what do we do exactly? Where where do we go from here? And they remember their call from from our boyfriend, who's like, okay, uh, 
Wow, that was that was a lot, guys. That a lot of that was that was pretty heavy. Um, why don't you just come down to Tycho Station and we'll, we'll kind of figure this out? Yeah. And so they they head they head out to Tycho Station, and uh, along the way, um, oh, they, they and they they figure out some way to like spoof the transponder. Fake. Yeah, Fred it's not really them. important, but the, the go ahead. Yeah, Fred sends them a essentially a. Uh, a pirated transponder sequence yeah, that they can replace did... the Mars, the Martian one with so that they don't appear to be a Martian vessel. Yeah. How to, how to jailbreak your iPhone or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, um, they how do to jailbreak that. your, your Martian Navy battle cruiser. This, yeah. So they, they jailbreak the, the, the battle cruiser or whatever. And then, you know, as, as they're flying there, it's a Corvette. Um, we start sorry. To so... Oh, it's, it's a battle Corvette. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I wouldn't have... I, I couldn't tell you the difference. I, you think Alex puts the top down? <laughs> yeah, he's he's he puts the top down and then immediately all the air is sucked out of their lungs. That joke has totally never been made before, I guarantee it. <laughs> they So, so um, as they're, they're, they're uh, cruising in their Corvette at, out to Tycho Station, um, we're starting to get some vibes from... Um, from uh, Holden and Naomi, um, oh, our yeah. current my my current favorite uh, character Naomi. Uh, she there there's kind of like this um, burgeoning will they won't they kind of situation cropping up. Uh, that's I there's not really too much to dig into there. I mean there's like this little other than just he's kind of like looking at her. And he's like wow, yeah that's she's actually kind of attractive. And then later like kind of like a little bit of like playful banter at, at, at a karaoke bar he's like girl when'd you he's... get so hot <laughs> I, I he's he's uh the, the scales have fallen from his eyes i guess after i guess he's moved on from adding now um but i think it's i think it's um i don't think it's it's i i do feel like part of it is him coping with Ade's death like he's now seeing Naomi in a new light, not in a sense of, you know, the whole the the classic Austin Powers. Wait a tick, that means I'm single again. Like I don't think it's supposed to be taken like that, but I think that's one of his ways of coping with the the PTSD of everything that's happened. Is he's looking for some form of companionship, and he's yeah he he's thinking he might find it with Naomi. Yeah, and I think that's that's probably that's probably what they want they would want you to feel from this interaction. And there's maybe something to the fact that they also have both gone through a very um, extreme situation, several extreme situations in close proximity to one another, both in terms of like their actual proximity and in terms of like it was it, a lot of these things are happening over a relatively short time period. Yeah, it's I think it's a bit of a bonding through crisis kind of thing. At least maybe and, on his end. I don't, I don't know if it's being reciprocated by her yet, but, I mean, you know, we'll see. Yeah. That remains to be seen. That, that is, at this point, unclear. Yeah. Which, uh, probably one of the biggest moments with the the trip to Tycho Station is after him and Naomi have a little moment about the transponder and him showing why, why he's the captain now. Uh, he renames the ship to the, the Rocinante, which... I had to look up. I don't know if you did or not, or if you already knew. So, for anyone who doesn't know, 
which was me until like two hours ago, the Rocinante is the name of Don Quixote's horse, which translates to, according to the internet, uh, so don't take this as pure fact unless, Daniel, you can back me up on this, uh, which translates to Old Hag. I actually, I actually didn't know. That's that's kind of, I I would I, did, I wasn't aware of that. I guess it's it's kind of. Um, I was aware that it was an allusion to Don Quixote's horse, but I, I didn't. I guess I didn't know that it it was it meant old hag. Yeah, I think that's kind of funny, and uh, I've never read Don Quixote, but I I do from the bare bones knowledge I do know of what Don Quixote is. It does feel pretty apt to name their ship after his horse i would i would say that they they are currently on a very uh quixotic um quest yes yeah, so i i feel it is pretty apt yeah which i will say the rocinante is an awesome ship and i would love to be on it there are so many really cool amenities on it that just man going from the night to the rocinante uh, is one hell of an upgrade. Yeah, they t- and they mentioned some things like um, that we we get uh, we get what 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 we what is about as close to a George R R Martin food um, moment when they're eating like the like the flatbread with like the the hummus. So, but they've been like up to this point eating a bunch of like um, like essentially protein bars. So they're obviously the fact that they're eating real food makes a really big impression on all of the characters. And it's, it's like this nice moment where it's kind of like, um, relieving tension somewhat where they feel they're like, like, Oh wow. We we're having it. We can get a shower. We can eat real food. You know, it's, 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 just, it's a, it's a nice moment to kind of decrease the tension after, after, uh, what we've seen to this point yeah and, and so to to kind of round out holden and the crew story so far they arrive on uh Tycho station they meet up with fred and f- they're they're very cagey toward him because holden's whole thing moving forward is if anybody wants to tell us what to do they're gonna be on the receiving end of either the ship's cannons or my pistol so it's very much a uh, we're not taking shit from anyone anymore kind of stance that him and the crew have taken and so they kind of show that to, to, to Fred when they get to Tycho Station. And Fred is like, all right, well, you know, you're here for a reason. And Holden's like, yeah, there's there's got to be some sort of, some sort of, th- you want us for something. You wouldn't just do this out of the goodness of your heart. Why are we here? Why do you want us here? And Fred basically explains that, yeah, uh, this war can only end two ways. One of which is human annihilation ostensibly and he goes into the whole thing with like the Einstein quote and the other thing is find out who actually destroyed the Canterbury put them on trial hold them accountable and show that this was not something that was worth causing this war and we end it that way and I need you guys because you're the only people that were at the Canterbury and the Doniger I need you guys as star witnesses so yeah uh, I'll put you up I'll protect you but I'm going to need that from you in return. And this is going to help me further my political career as well. So there you go. Yeah, it's it's a very... Um, I, I think... We'll, we'll see how, the, how this goes. But I think, generally speaking, the OPA come off 
as the most reasonable that we've seen, at least to this point. I mean, who knows? Maybe things will be different as the story kind of progresses. Uh, but they, they like, between Dawes and now with Fred, they are they're doing, like, a, they have, like, a very... Um, a lot of the time when they've been speaking at this point is they're, like, they say things in a very reasonable... You know, they, they have very reasonable goals and very reasonable ways to go about things. So, like, like they said, like, doing, having some sort of, like, trial uh, would be infinitely more um, beneficial to just, like, having, like, going to all-out war uh, between the belt and Mars. So, I, I, I don't know. I think, in general, I, I, I think that this seems to be a good turn, but... Uh, you know, we still have like roughly 300-ish pages of the book to go, so we're not even halfway. So um, I guess we'll see how this all shakes out. But, I mean, to this point, I would say uh, of all of the, the entities that we've run across, the OPA seems to be one of the more reasonable ones. Well, there's a uh, there is a quote that is well-known in certain circles that goes a bit along the lines of, the enemy speaks kindly and wields a knife. That's kind of that, that. That's kind of what I'm getting at too. Is like we don't know. Like there, there's probably going to be some sort of like based just on the vibes I'm getting through the book so far. There's going to be some sort of like really nihilistic heel turn by the by the OPA, and the author is going to use it to kind of make this point of like, oh, everyone's bad. Um, you can only trust yourself, or something like that. I I, I kind of get the that vibe from this from these authors, um, which is not really something I personally agree with. And maybe that they, they don't even go there um, either. Well, we, that remains to be seen. But that it just feels like they're almost suspicious. Yeah, what I'm what I'm getting at is they're almost suspiciously reasonable um, in this. So it's like, okay, so where 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 does the catch come in? Well, I will say something that has been done really well uh, across both Holden and Miller's storyline is we get this view of Mars and the OPA in a more kind of human light because Mm -hmm. with Holden's story up until him making it to Fred, the OPA is being framed as these radical revolutionists that are anarchistic and uh, a blight against Mars and all that is good. But we also see the Martians as actual people that are being put in a situation that they don't want to be in, but they're having to deal with as best as they can. And it's it does not seem like they're warmongers, at least in the way that they are uh, made to, out to be in Miller's storyline. And with Dawes, we are seeing that the OPA is more than just that anarchistic entity that just wants to overthrow and take control that there's a lot more nuance to them that they are just trying to at least this sect of them because it's it does seem like there might be different factions in the OPA that want different things and there might be uh, tension building towards an OPA civil war later on down the line because of that but at least with the faction that we see through through Dawes and Fred is that they are just trying to look out for the people that they think matter to them and don't want any they're, they're essentially this this might be a little too much of a stretch but it's almost like the american colonies in the 18th century with the revolutionary war but not quite so hostile at least at first 
it's more of like a like a uh, we we just want to have what's ours and be left alone kind of thing. Well, that that's I, I, I uh, some people would probably argue that's how the uh, American Revolution at least began. It was like the idea of they at first was they were there like we we just want to assert our rights as Englishmen. And I think in a lot of senses, in a lot of um, kind of like revolu- revolutionary periods, that's at least how things will start. You know, it's like yeah. this idea of like things things are, are not going well. Things are not, you know, this is not really a fair situation. And but but we, we want to work, you know, we want to say, you know, or there, there there's it's not it doesn't start at it's not starting at 10. It's not starting at open warfare. It's starting at like. Hey, you know this is this is not really fair. This is not this actually isn't even within the currently existing legal framework. You know that kind of thing. I, th- that seems to be kind of where it's starting. And then who knows? Maybe maybe as things, you know, kind of progress, like as as the fallout from the Doniger incident kind of unravels, maybe we'll start to see it it, it start to ramp up. Yeah. Well, I guess just to, to kind of wrap my point off, it, it, I feel like it's done a good job of showing both sides of the conflict as being humans and not just one evil entity or one good entity. And it does make me feel stronger about the idea that all of this is being caused by a third party behind the scenes that's trying to create this this war where there wouldn't have been naturally. So... I I I don't know. I guess you know it's 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 not a black and white issue at the end of the day, and I think it's doing a great job of of showing that. So I don't know. I just it's just one of those things to where I feel like we've gotten some really good setup. We've gotten some great establishment of of the world and the conflict and the the kind of political and socioeconomic ecosystem. And now we're just watching the pieces fall into place and just wondering where they're going to land. Yeah. Yeah. It, in some ways, I don't know. We, we we might even want to look back later and see. And, you know, it, it may be the Canterbury is the inciting incident or it may be the Doniger is the inciting incident. I don't know. I, I it, it just kind of remains to be seen how this kind of all plays out. Um, but I don't know. It's it's pretty interesting, and I, I look forward to seeing where this all goes. Yeah, this book is one hell of a page turner. Yeah, very much so. I, I think it's you know pretty well written. You know, it's very um, you know, like you said, good good world building, good plot. I, I'm I'm interested to play this out and kind of see see where we end up. Yeah, and uh, you know, if all goes well, there are eight more books in the series. Wow. That that is a that is a lot. That is more than I was expecting. Yeah, I, I've heard it's all really good. And I've heard it ends really well. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's something that we have to cover. Like maybe maybe as a in a year or so we look back and it's like, hey, we've read the next two or three books. Let's talk about that for a little bit. So mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily think it's it's a series that we need to cover start to finish here, at least in the same format that we're doing with this one, but. As it stands, I think that I'm going to eventually make my way through the entire series. I don't know when. It could be a couple more years before I'm done, but I don't know. It's it's really good. I, I'm having a great time with this book. 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm in, I'm enjoying it too. Well, I guess I I think that's that'll about get us uh, this time. Yeah. So you know. So much guess, for cutting down yeah. the time of the episodes. Well, I think I think this will, I think this will, uh, this maybe could edit out to being maybe a, a little bit shorter than we think. But it's it's so funny. All every episode that we begin with, uh, where where I'm saying beforehand, yeah, I don't know, not a lot really happened. Maybe. You know, this might this there might not be much to talk about. We we always end up to stretch stretching these into being very very lengthy. Yeah, well, like I said, there was a lot going on with the characters, even if there wasn't a lot going on with the 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 overarching plot as a whole. But I feel like these characters are so well fleshed out and so interesting that we can talk about 100 pages worth of character development over a two hour span of time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a but, sign of uh, great yeah. writing. Yeah, it it is that you know I gotta gotta hand it to there's there's uh, you know I think I think they're both talented and as a team you know I think Leviathan Wakes is a is a work to be proud of. Yeah. But I think that that'll about get us uh, for today. So but so thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Um, this is Sad Boys Book Club, and uh, we will see you next time. Yep. Have a good week. <laughs>